Mm, amen. God's good, isn't he? Yeah, you know, this uh, the series we've been doing, and if this is your first time here, let me kind of just give you a background a little bit. Uh, somewhere back earlier in the fall, I got this idea about this particular song, Do You Hear What I Hear? And taking a, a idea of each verse, do you see, do you hear, do you know? And ending with this one, this one that says um, that, that, you know, listen to what I say. And, and here's how the verse goes. It says, um, uh, where is it? Here we go. Said the king to the people everywhere, listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. Listen to what I say. The child, the child, sleeping the night, he will bring us goodness and light. He will bring us goodness and light. And what a powerful command that is. And, and as you know, this song was written back in about 1962, and the world was on the brink of nuclear war with the Cuban Missile Crisis going on. So many people were afraid they didn't have peace. And unfortunately, I think, and I asked Donnie for that song particularly because I knew how well it would fit the scripture today. And, and I asked him, I said, Donnie, sing this because the war between God and man is over. And it's over because of the work of Jesus Christ. But here's what I see as a, well, first off, in my own life, but in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ, I so often see us living either A, under the threat of war, or B, that war once again is intimate. Somehow we don't understand, we don't believe that we've got to keep God at bay, we've got to keep God at peace, because it's, if we do the wrong thing, God is going to declare war on us. And He's not. Because of this tree and this Christmas tree and God becoming flesh and man, man becoming, you know, Jesus becoming man and living a sinless and perfect life and marching 33 years later ultimately to this tree where he hung and died for our sin. Because of that, the war's over. The war's over. And God wants us so much to live in the wonder of his grace and not the fear of his punishment. God wants us to live in the wonder of His grace and not the fear of His punishment. Now, we have this incredible scripture today in Romans chapter 5. And let me, let me share two things with you as you turn there. And they'll be on the screen too in just a moment. Um, first is this. If you're here today and you know, God is like a distant thing to you, you, you would say probably, Dwayne, I'm, I'm not a Christ follower. I'm not a Christian. Not good enough. Um, don't know God personally. I would count myself outside the family of God. However you might say that, there is some powerful and wonderful truth that you need to hear today. Because, frankly, um, the church has done an incredibly wonderful job of messing up our perception of God. I mean, preachers pound their little pulpits around and slap their books and scream and holler and talk about how we've got to perform or God won't like us or love us. That's great for Reader's Digest, but it's not in the Word. We're not earning God's favor by going to church or keeping the rules or being baptized or giving enough money. We come into God's favor because of His grace. Nothing that we've done. And that's what the message is about today. So if you're here today and you've kind of interested in this God thing, but frankly, you've been turned off by the message you've been hearing from churches. Either, A, it's a religion that's fake, they're plastic, they say one thing on Sunday and do another thing during the week. 
Or maybe you've gone, you've gone to a church and you say, well, I can never measure up to those standards anyway. Or perhaps someone looked down on you and tried to judge you and say, you're not good because you do this or I'm better than you because of that. Hear the message today. Hear the truth today from the Word of God. Try to discard all that junk you've heard from Christians and listen to what God's got to say. Then, if you are a Christ follower today, listen carefully and enjoy the wonder the mystery of God's amazing grace. You know, the last verse of that song said, there were battlefields. In my heart, the the battles were not over. And there were battlefields of my own making. So often, our relationship with God is scarred because of the battlefields that we make. Our misperception of who God is and what God's Word says. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what the preachers say. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's false. It's false. So listen what the Word of God says about your position and your relationship with God. Now, someone has called Romans the fifth gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Romans. And Romans is an incredibly deep book, way over my head. Way over my head. You know, sometimes if I could talk to Paul, the writer, I'd say things like, Paul, dumb it down. I'm not getting it. But not today. <laughs> there are times when he just puts it down there right where we can just enjoy and feast on it. And that's what we're going to do today. So in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and read the entire scripture through. We're going to pause and pray and then come back and let's talk about it, okay? Here's what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access uh, through him, Jesus, by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. And we'll talk about that. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. And endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was giving to us. And if we get time, I'd like to tie in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 that talks not about peace with God, but the peace of God. And here's what Paul writes in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here it is. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray, then we'll talk about it. Father, thank you so very much. Thank you that you did not set the rules, Father, and say that is the only way. Thank you that you knew we could never keep the rules, and you sent grace. You made a way... That weak people, and we're all weak, broken people like us could come into relationship with you, not by what we could do or try to do, but what your son Jesus already did. So my friend here today who, who may be wondering about, well, what's this God stuff all about? May today, would you enable me to make it very clear how we can come into relationship with you? 
And then for those of us, the weans, who are Christ followers, Lord, help us to enjoy what you've given us. Help us to feast on this thing called grace. And Jesus, I pray this in your great name. Amen. Amen. So Paul writes in Romans and says, therefore, and what he's done in verses chapters 1, 2, and 3, and 4, he's kind of set up the stage about how really, how, how much we need a Savior. You know, the Bible says very clearly, you know, that all of us have sinned. There's none righteous. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that doeth good. It's a pretty depressing picture of really our, our comparison to God. We are really, really a broken people. And, and then he starts introducing the idea that there's a way we can become unbroken and it doesn't have anything to do with how we can work or how we go to church or what good things we do. Rather, it has to do what Jesus Christ did. And that word therefore, whenever there's a word therefore, you kind of look, well, why is it therefore? Well, Paul's reflecting back on how broken we are and then what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. So he says, therefore, because of that, since we have been declared righteous. Now, we got Paul's there. You know, basically, when the Bible says that we are declared righteous, there's only one person who could declare you righteous, and that is God himself. Now, let let me get this good for you. Okay, here's God, and he's perfect. And here's us, and we're not. That's all you need to know. Here's God. We all fall short of his perfect standard. Here's God, and here we are, and we're not. Now, now some people have a really not, <laughs> like they're a whole lot broken, we would say. Oh, look at his life. He's really broken. And some of us were pretty moral. You know, we didn't, you know, smoke and chew and date girls who do kind of thing. We were pretty good, you know. But it doesn't matter. We're still broken. So here's God. He's perfect. And here we're not. And, and Paul says, we've been declared Righteous. Now, there's two ways you can, in fact, you probably see it. There's different translations of the Bible here this morning. You know, depending on your translation, you might see the word justified and you might see the word righteous. The word righteous simply means this that we've been granted a right standing with God. A right standing with God. Now, did you notice the word I used? We've been granted. Didn't earn it, can't buy it. We've been granted a right standing with God. And the other word is the word you might see in your Bible, and that's the word justified. And that's simply, now this is a, this is a soft version of that. I mean, I'm not doing this. I wouldn't take it to the bank exactly what it means, but it means this, just as if we had never sinned. If we are justified before God, he sees us just as if we had never sinned. That's pretty cool. So when God looks at at us, and we're going to see how this happens, when God looks at us through the lens of Jesus Christ, he doesn't see us wounded and broken. He sees us just as if we'd never sinned. And again, not something we've done, not in our ability to keep the rules, but because of what Jesus Christ did. And he declares us righteous. So if I were you today, I'd be going, okay, okay, how does that happen? Because I know me, and frankly, I'm not very righteous. <laughs> in fact, if, if I was like in the presence of God, I would feel really uncomfortable because I know how perfect he is and, you know, woo, and I'm not. 
So how, how can it be? How can God declare me righteous? Well, it happens through a vehicle. Do you see those two words? Therefore, since we have been declared by God righteous, that is, we're just as if we never sinned, uh, we have a right standing with holy God now by faith. There it is. By faith. Not by keeping the rules. Not by going to church. Not by being better and gooder. But by faith. I love it. There's this guy named Abraham in the Old Testament. Now, you read our church, folks. You may, you may know this. But, you know, remember Abraham? You know, Abraham, the Bible says that God declared Abraham righteous because he believed God. Not because God looked down from Abraham and said, that is one good dude. When God called Abraham, he was a pagan. He was one of those people that worshiped like lots of gods. It wasn't like Abraham had it all together. But God showed up one day and said, Hey, Mr. Pagan. Hey, Mr. God worshiper of many other gods besides me. I want you to leave where you are and go over there. Now, over there being a far country. And Abraham said, Okay. He believed God. And God counted that for him as righteousness because he believed. He trusted God. He had faith. And guess how, we, guess how we come into this right relationship? Guess how we are declared righteous? Guess how we are having, declared having a right standing with God? Guess how we are declared just as if we never sinned? Not by being a Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist. No, but by believing God. There's a people group called, called the Champas. And they live in southern Mexico. And they had a really difficult time translating the New Testament into their language. And the problem was there was not one word that represented faith. So for the longest time, the translators could not finish the New Testament because in their language, there was not a word for faith. And finally, what they did was they put a string of words together. And the string of words said something like this. Faith equals taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do. Taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do. So Romans chapter 5, if we're going to use that translation of faith, it would read something like this. Therefore, since we have been justified Through taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the key to being declared righteous, the key to being justified as if you just never sinned, is taking seriously what God has said he would do. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ, same for us. We are infected. Listen, I am convinced. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. We are infected with a disease. It's the works disease. We can't get it out of our heads. We just think we've got to appease God by doing, 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 doing. Doing's fine. But doing does not make it right with God. Grace makes you right with God. That's it. And that's all. So he says, we have been declared righteous. We have been declared justified um, by faith. Because of that, 
we have peace with God. Now, we don't get this. And this is the ugly side we don't want to often talk about because we have a hard time with it because, you know, we think God is love and He is. But see, because of our sin, we have been separated from God. Can I just put it bluntly, even though you may strangle on it? There was a state of hostility between man and God. And it all started when Eve sinned in the garden. When she rebelled against God, that perfect relationship was broken and hostility existed. Donnie's song, the war's over, but it's over because of what Christ did. But before that, there existed a state of hostility between God and between man. But Paul says, we've been declared righteous by faith. We have Peace with God. The war is over. How did that happen? It happens, as the scripture says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through what Jesus Christ did, the war is over. You know, the war is over in Korea. But you know, there's a a wall there in Korea, a fence there in Korea. And North Korea hates the South Koreans. And the South Koreans hate the North Koreans. There's really no outward hostilities But there could be. That is not a description of the peace we have with God. With our peace with God, with us being declared righteous and just before God, it's not that tension of the war could break out at any moment. The war is over. And it's because of God's amazing grace. Now, let me paint... No, no, no. Let the scriptures paint a picture for what that looked like. I'm going to look at two scriptures. The first is Romans chapter 3, 23 and 20 through 25. Listen to this. For all have sinned, and that's everybody. That's preachers and popes and presidents. We know the presidents are true. We got that one down, sure. Maybe the pope may squeak by, but he does it. He's a sinner, and every preacher I know is a sinner. All right? So we're all sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely, the sinners are, they are justified freely by His grace, God's unmerited favor, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, the Bible also says in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. In other words, we are separated from God and so the payment for our sin is separation from God. But Jesus did this redemption thing and that's where this comes in. That's where that comes in. That represents a Roman cross. And it wasn't, it's so cool because it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like, oh no, the world fell apart and God had to come up with a plan. Even before Adam and Eve sinned, that was the plan. That on Christmas morning, Jesus would become flesh. God would become flesh. He would live a sinless, perfect life, which he did. At 30, he makes his, his ministry, his identity public. He lives three more years radically doing ministry, healing people, all of that stuff. And then at just the right time, he allows himself to be arrested. He allows himself to be nailed to that cross because the wages of sin was death. He took our place. I deserve that, and he took it. I love what Donnie said. Favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's awesome. Therefore, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin that we might, be, we might become the righteousness of God. 
Jesus walked up. Like Donnie said, Jesus walked up and said, give me your sin and I'll let you have my righteousness. And that's how we're declared righteous. Not because we're Baptists. Not because we go to church. Not because we keep the rules. We are declared righteous because Jesus gave us His. Oh, come on. That's good, Baptists. I mean, this is so freeing. I mean, do you understand you could wake up tomorrow morning and not wondering if today was the day that, that God was going to make you a greasy spot on a seat somewhere because you sinned against Him? That you really could have this relationship? And you really didn't have to worry about keeping that relationship intact because God did the holding and not you? Ooh, that's good news. But let me paint, let me get my paintbrush out and paint just a little bit more. Listen to this last verse in Romans chapter 3. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood. And someone's going, and that's why I don't come to church. These preachers think they've got to use these big long words that no one understands. Amen. See, I don't know anything over three, three syllables, so you're safe here. What is a propitiation? It's an appeasement. It's atonement. See, God is just. God is perfect. We weren't. There had to be punishment for sin. Now, get this. The Bible says that when Jesus hung on that cross, and I think Donnie referenced this also, God turned the lights out. It became dark. And Jesus cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, God, why have you turned your back on me? And the answer was because he became sin for us. And that word propitiation carries the idea of wrath being diverted. So all the wrath that every one of us would deserve, that's what makes hell so terrible... And he would be just. I want you to know that. He'd be just. If everyone has ended up in a place called hell, we would be, he would be just in doing that. But he made a way. All that wrath whoa, was poured out on that cross. This became ground zero for the war between man and God. And Jesus took the hit. Jesus took your bullet. Jesus endured the wrath of his Father so every person by faith who believes never would. Is that cool or what? I think y'all ought to clap. I think y'all ought to clap. I don't know this. You know, I love getting presents. I love getting presents. And I'm not sure what the ultimate gift would be, but someone paying the ticket for me not to go to hell is a pretty good present. And that's what Christmas and that's what Easter is all about. I bet you thought, well, I thought it's just like, you know, it got to be good and stuff. No, no, no. It's about you having a relationship with Holy God, not based on how good you can do and how well you can keep it, but by God's amazing and wonderful grace. There's another verse in, in 1 John chapter 4. It says the same thing. Love consists in this. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. That's pretty incredible. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. I mean, if you're, does God really, you know, Dwayne, 
Does God really love me? I mean, I pray for a new car and didn't get it. You know, I heard some preacher on TV say that, that if I would just pray that God would give me anything I wanted and it didn't come true, you're confused with Santa Claus. Does God love you? Yeah, let me go through it one more time just in case you missed it. God became flesh, born in a manger, lived a sinless life for 30 years, goes public, three years of ministry, allows himself to be nailed to a cross. You can't imagine how the physical punishment was. Lights are turned out and God's wrath, his own father's wrath is poured out on him. And it was all planned. Does he love you? More than you can imagine. That is cool. And that, brothers and sisters, is the truth. That's the truth. It's like it gets better. Look at verse 2. We have also, Paul says, obtained access through him. How? 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 By faith. (laughs) There it is. By believing. Not by doing. By believing. By faith. Into this grace in which we stand. We have also obtained access through him, by faith, unto this grace in which we stand. This is so good. This is so good. Now, let me give you about this much Jewish history. Some of y'all know this. God was like so separated from the Jewish people. He was so holy that they had the, the common, they had the courtyard where you could all, you know, first they had the court of the Gentiles, but then the Jewish courtyard where Jewish males could stand. And if you had to be a priest, you could go into the holy place. But then once a year, once a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. This is where they tied a rope around his leg. In case he offended God, they could drag him out because you couldn't go in there. God was totally inaccessible. When Paul wrote and said that we have obtained access, he's talking about access to God. Here's the cool. In Matthew 27, this is the truth. In Matthew 27, the Bible says... Jesus cried out and said, like Donnie's song, it's finished. The war is over. It's finished. And the Bible says that from the top to the bottom, this huge six-inch thick curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was ripped open top to bottom. And God hung out the welcome sign. The inaccessible God became accessible. And it's like all because of God's amazing grace. And look at me. Wouldn't it be, come on, come on, come on. Wouldn't it be cool knowing that you could wake up tomorrow and really call God Father and admit something? Wouldn't it be cool to know that when you face a major crisis in your life, that that you may not, it may not be like Santa Claus and get what you want, but you know you can go to God and say, hey, God, I got a problem. And you know he's listening. That's cool. And that access was available because of what happened on that tree by God's amazing and wonderful grace. We have have access into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Y'all love that old song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. See, not mine. Not, not my death on a cross. And not my righteousness, because I don't have any. But Jesus' hope and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Religion? 
sinking sand. Doing good works, sinking sand. Grace, solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you're here today, and you're, you, know, you may, may or may not do the church thing, the God thing, get that. But isn't that good news? I know you've heard some preacher. I know your, your priest or whoever, you know, your preacher has told you something and may have come across that. I could never be that good and I can't stay that good. Good news, you don't have to. Because Jesus was that good and he stayed that good. <laughs> good news. I'm telling you what. See, there's benefits to have an imperfect preacher like me. <laughs> you know, I just regularly fall off the pedestal, so that's not a problem. I regularly confess to you guys because I've got so much to talk about. Truth is, though, guess what? God didn't say, Dwayne, you can be a preacher if you'll be perfect. He just called. <laughs> See, and that's you. And that's you. He loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's good news. Can we, let's go just a little bit further. We, we won't make it all the way, but let's go a little bit further because it's, it's only 11.15. And not only that, Paul says, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Now, this is where time out again. Once again, preachers tell lies. There's too many preachers running around who'll tell you, if you'll follow God, if you'll become a Christian, all of a sudden, you've got a perfect life. You'll never lose your job. You'll never get a bad report from the doctor. Your kid's teeth will be straight. They will be on the dean's list. In fact, ah, you'll get a scholarship. You don't have to worry about college. Just follow God. It's all perfect. Could someone please, after church, show me that in the Bible? The best I can tell, the dudes who followed Jesus, all but John, were martyred. Forget rich. They got killed. You don't find that health, wealth, gospel mess... In the Bible, you just find it in America. And that leads to the performance thing because if, if I try harder, I just know he'll give me everything I want. It's not about that. We have afflictions. Jesus said, you'll have afflictions. We live in an imperfect world. Now, there is coming a time when you won't have afflictions. But that involves the last heartbeat and eternity in heaven. And it's a great gig. But it does involve leaving this earth. On this earth, you're going to have afflictions. You're going to have tribulations. So Paul says, he says, now, not only that, but we rejoice in our afflictions. Now, we don't rejoice because of. I mean, y'all know I'm a whiny. I am the king of wine. And that is W-H-I-N-E. Just to be clear, because we're in a Baptist church, okay? W-H-I-N-E. So, so I am the king of wine. And y'all know that, I think, you know, about a week ago, you know, I had this crud stuff. You know, I woke up, didn't sleep good, and then my back started hurting. You know, you get that thing like somebody hit you up with a ball bat all night long. And then it got clogged up and had the cough and had the headache. Late three days, I was ready to call Reed Funeral Chapel. It don't take much for me to get one foot in the grave. Okay, I thought it was over with. I thought it was done. Okay, talking about afflictions, I had one. Okay, we have afflictions in this world. So ask me, ask me if I felt very spiritual those three or four days. Uh, that would be a no. The only time I felt less spiritual was when I stubbed my toe 
on the couch that Judy put in the middle of our bedroom in the middle of the night when the lights were out. I felt very unspiritual that day. So no, I don't. Paul doesn't say rejoice in your affliction. Woohoo! I get to be sick. Ha ha! I've got cancer. No, 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 no. But we rejoice in the afflictions. Well, why? Because, well, one reason, because our Father's in control. And I know we'll have to talk another time. But if that's true, then at least everything that comes to my life is Father filtered. And God has a purpose for the things He allows to come into our lives. Lost and saved. Christian and non-Christian. He has a reason for allowing things into our life. So, so, so we rejoice in our afflictions. Here we go. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Now, some of you guys are crazy and go to the gym. Okay, you're exercise freaks. And you know this. You know this. You know if you go there to the gym and you cause affliction to your muscles that you use when you curl, that you're going to build, your, their muscles going to get stronger. Can I have an amen here? Am I on target? I've never actually done this stuff. I've read about it. Okay, so, so you pick up these weights and you curl them. And as you do that, okay, then there's, there's resistance and affliction, but the affliction produces endurance. You know, Tom, do you remember that time? This is when I thought you were my friend. Do you remember that time that you said, I'll tell you what, Dwayne. It was, new, you know, it was a new year and I was trying to lose a little bit of weight. And you said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I've got a personal trainer. And I'll let you use my personal trainer until Easter and you'll be a new man. You remember saying that? Yeah, I was a new man, all right. Almost ended up in a nursing home. <laughs> I, showed up, I showed up and met the guy's name was Jason. I called him Igor. <laughs> Igor took great pleasure. I saw Igor the other day. I said, hey, Igor, what you doing? He laughed. You know, but, but this guy, his job was to make me you know, have affliction in my muscles that I could go stronger. I mean, look at me. It hurt. Hurt. And you were my friend. It hurt. But Paul says, listen, in, in faith, in the spiritual realm, listen, we, we, we know affliction produces endurance. We become strong, not when things are going super well, but when things are difficult. Our faith grows when we are in difficulty, not when the sun shines all the time. Then he goes on and says this. And then he says, endurance produces proven character. I may not like the fact, but you know, when I look at certain men in our church, and it's very obvious they go to gym very regularly, I value their discipline. I value their character. I go, that takes, that takes commitment. And Paul would go, that's exactly right. When we, when we have this endurance, the, the result of endurance is this discipline, this proven character. And then he says this, and the proven character produces hope. It keeps us going. When you, you know, when you, when you sit there and you... And you go to the gym, and you, your pants aren't those like the kind that have like the elastic, you know? It stretches two inches. If you haven't discovered those, you need to try those. They're very awesome, okay? Keeps you from buying pants on. So, 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 you know, but you put your pants on after you go to the gym for a while, and you put your pants on, and all of a sudden, oh, how about that? See, the endurance, the affliction, and the endurance, it produces this hope, the result. The result is, in weight loss, is, hey, I feel better. The result in spiritually is, we have a hope. And look what he says. This is so good. Look at verse 5. This hope will not disappoint us. Okay. See, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
there's a kind of hope that when the hope's not there, it makes us sick. But the hope in God is not hope so maybe. It's the real solid deal. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's not a hope so maybe. It's a solid fact. My hope is in Christ. Not my performance, not my denomination, not my religion, not my abilities. My hope is anchored in Christ. And this hope will not disappoint. How come? Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. God lavishly pours out this love. It's it's, it's like when you go... This is a great illustration to counter the gym illustration. You know, it's like when you go to the restaurant and you, you're getting chocolate cake and you say to the waitress, the server, would you mind putting some chocolate syrup on top of that? Wait, you can identify this, can't you? Chocolate cake with chocolate syrup. woo It gets good. And, and then you say this, and not a little. In fact, I'll just be honest with you. I went to Red Lobster last week, wasn't it? I said, um, could I have, you know, the, a salad, yeah. And um, I said, can I have, like, blue cheese dressing? They said, sure. I said, could you put a little extra? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Lavish. I, I'm one of these people that puts their fork in their salad dressing to get a little taste. If I want blue cheese dressing, I want blue cheese dressing. In fact, forget the lettuce. I want blue cheese dressing. And then, what would you like on your baked potato? Sour cream and butter. You know what I said, don't you? By the way, <laughs> would you put a little extra? And my tata was mushy in sour cream and butter. Are you hungry yet? Yeah. That's how God lavishes his love on us. God doesn't say dip your God doesn't say dip your fork in my love and get a little taste. <laughs> that is it. He dumps it on us. It's better than when the coach gets baptized with Gatorade. He just pours out his love. Will you understand today how much God loves you? Hey, children of God, will you understand today how much He loves you? Would you get over it? But He didn't. He should have. And I thought He would. And just understand because of that, you know He loves you lavishly. Lavishly. If you're here today and you're wondering, what kind of God? What about this God? He loves you lavishly. That's how He loves you. He poured out His love. How? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I love, and I'll close with this verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. See, see, most of us, first off, if you're not, if you're not a believer, you probably don't, don't like God too much. And if you are a believer, we fear God. We live in this fear, this fear, this fear. And, and John says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. But whoever fears has not been perfected in love. When we start understanding that how we were declared righteous was all God and how we stay righteous is all God. And oh, by the way, he dumps his love on us bucket after bucket after bucket. All of a sudden becoming a God follower, 
becomes something totally different, doesn't it? It means this takes on new meaning. It means that takes on new meaning. It means our lives take on new meaning. We have peace with God. And we have the peace of God. So what's my bottom line? What's the deal? Well, you're here today. And you understand, okay, Dwayne, I'm, I'm, there's one thing I'm sure of. There's a lot of things I don't know, but this thing I'm sure of, I, I'm certain that I've never received this gift. That me and God, we're not, we're not doing well. Maybe the hostility's still there. And you're in an age of grace, by the way. There's coming a time that won't be, but that's not now. But there's hostility between you and God. He's here and you're here and you know there's a gap. Well, today, by God's amazing grace... If you'll believe, believe what, Dwayne? Believe what God said about you, all of sin, everybody. Believe what God says about Jesus, that he died because the wages of sin was death. He died for your sins and rose again on the third day. And if you'll follow him. And by the way, you're going to get this all over again next week in a different story. And if you will follow him, if you'll do that, you can come to relationship with God. You can call him Father and he really will be. He'll never leave you and never forsake you. He'll never stop loving you. He won't get mad at you when you don't keep the rules. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, would you just rest, would you just abide in what God's done for you through his grace? Would you just rest in that today? Would you be willing to begin 2016 resting in his grace. Someone in this building is going, oh, wait a minute, Dwayne. That, that, that won't work. You, what's going what's to keep people like doing the right thing? Like, you know, if somebody's not hollering at them and God's not threatening them, what's gonna, how are they going to do the right thing? You know how many times I've cheated on her? Zero. That's exactly right. I'll tell you, zero. My mom killed her a couple times, but, but that's another story. <laughs> now, guess why I haven't? Because she would kill me. <laughs> no. Now, by the way, I need to put a caveat here. Any man can do anything. But I love her. Right now, my love drives me to stay pure to her. Not because, not because I'd lose my job. Not because she would shoot me. But I love you, Judy. That's why. That's why. Don't you think that applies to God? What better motivation do you need to walk the Christ path, to follow Jesus, than your love for Him? What, what more motivation do you need? A lot better than some preacher hollering at you. A lot better living in fear that God's going to zap you if you don't. Just understand His love. And then love Him back. Love Him back. Amen? Amen. Why don't we bow our heads? I bet Judy goes out and gets me a new Christmas present. If you're here today, we have a decision time at the end. We kind of do that. Because we really think the news we tell here is good news. And it's something you may want to do today. So I'll be standing, I'm sorry, Brother Britt will be standing down front. 
And uh, y'all, y'all know Brent. And just welcome. Say, hey, Brent, okay, I want to know about this. This sounds like something I need in my life. This, this being declared righteous and right by what Jesus did, you know, by believing, uh, that's something I need in my life. And uh, Brent would be glad to share with you how that can happen in your life. And if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, yeah, you may not need to come forward for this one. But right there, while we're singing and as we close the service out today, um, maybe you want to say, okay, God, I want to start the new year different. I want to start the new year different. I want to start the new year with a really good understanding of, of the fact that you love me and the fact that I'm a product of your grace, your unmerited favor. And God, um, and I want to start just knowing, understanding your love for me, how lavish it is. I want to start 2016 differently this year, this year. You may want to come to the altar. It's open, and God may talk to you about joining our church or, or some other thing. The altar is open for that. If you want somebody to pray with you, uh, we certainly want to do that. But this is the best news you're going to hear, well, for the rest of this year and 2016 and the years beyond that. We have been declared righteous, justified because of Christ. God, thank you very, very much. Thank you very, very much. I pray, Father, that you will uh, speak to hearts. Holy Spirit, I believe you're real. And I pray, Father, for anyone here today who's never experienced this great gift. Would, would you let this be Christmas morning for them? Would they receive the greatest gift ever, your love and your forgiveness? That'd be awesome. And God, all of us that are Christ followers, would you help us to follow you? Help us to love you. Help us to enjoy what you paid so much for in our lives. Our wonderful salvation. May we savor every moment. Have your way in this time, Jesus. And I thank you and pray in your name. Amen. Amen.